Welcome to Northgate's podcast. We pray you enjoy the teaching of God's Word. May the Holy Spirit encourage, exhort, and comfort you. We invite you to come and see what the Lord is doing at Northgate. Come and grow with us. May you be blessed by the God of hope. So I wasn't going to share this, but that kind of just triggers my memory that for most of you, you've heard that I had a little event happen a week or so ago where I got to visit the Perth Hospital. And first class service, I must say it was, but just to go back a little bit, and I wasn't going to share it, but it just kind of on my heart a little bit. Linda said, are you going to share it? And I said, no, I don't think so. I mean, most of you have already heard it, but it's a little different coming from the proverbial horse's mouth. So here's the horse, and I'll share my little bit of story to you. So a week ago, I was on a men's weekend, one of these quieter ones, you know, there weren't any women. And uh, it started off on the Thursday night. We had this beautiful time of praying for each other. There was 17 guys in the team. We had a team retreat ahead of time. And so we were praying for each other at Camp Iowa. It was all beautiful. And these are the younger guys. These are the guys that I looked around and I thought, I'm definitely the oldest person here. I'm getting used to that. But I looked at it and realized I am three times the age of some of these guys. Like, not just twice the age. I'm like, these are younger than my grandkids. And it's like, yeah, you know, and when I was young, like when I went to visit Linda and I was young, stupid and single, we, I went down to impress her with my amazing abilities. And I went down at Christmas before I was married and jumped into their pool because that's what you do in California when it's 80 degrees and the pool is 40 degrees and I hate cold water, but that's what I did. And Laurel, were you impressed by me at that time? Totally impressed. You went? You thought, they all thought I was crazy. And and I was. And so back when you're in those ages, uh, you do things to impress people and you think you're infallible and invincible. And what I'm leading up to is that these young guys decided at seven degrees that they were going to sleep out in the tents at Camp Iowa. Now that, that doesn't quite register to me, but camping doesn't quite register to me. So it's okay. If you want to do that, I don't know why, but people want to do that. They want to torture themselves just so they enjoy themselves. And so that's a mystery to me. So at Camp Iowa, I brought my tenting stuff. And honestly, before God, I was going to go and sleep out in this barren field. Well, there was these nice warm rooms with toilets and showers and beds, beds. And so that night I decided, you know, I have been a hero. I have done this. I don't need to be a hero. I'm the oldest guy here. I'm pulling the age card. So I am sleeping in one of those bunks. I'm sleeping in one of those dorms. And I decided to do that. And so I did that. And I kind of looked around, spread my stuff out, and thought, toilet, shower, bed, warmth. Enjoy, guys. And I went off to bed. About a quarter to five in the morning, I woke up with this very strange sensation where my heart is going kind of like a car that we used to have a long time ago that sputters. And and cars, when they sputter, it's like, is it going to keep going or is it going to stop on me? But when it's your heart, it's a little different than an engine because if it's your car, you just get out of the car. But your heart, it's like, you just get out of your body and you're gone. It's a little different scenario, right? So anyway, I'm in a quarter to five in the morning. And I'm at Camp Iowa, and if you know where that is, it's down a dirt road that if you follow Google, you will go through a bridge, and you'll be eight kilometers lost on a logging trail, and if you do it in the wintertime, it costs you $500 to get towed back out. So I was a little worried, and God bless our first responders, but I wasn't quite sure how they would find me, and I wasn't quite sure when they would find me, and I decided I feel fine, like I can talk, I can... 
I can move. It's just this heart is not working right. And so I got in my car and decided to drive to Perth. I live in Lanark. I wanted to go home. You know, I didn't want you taking me to Kingston like that's uh, the foreign territory to me. So I started driving down the road. And as I'm driving down this one lane road and it's pitch dark, it's five o'clock in the morning and nobody knows where I am. All of a sudden I hear this banging sound under my car and I am not a mechanic. I don't know. I just know when things break that they're, they're, it's not good. So I'm driving down this road. My heart's going, and my car's going, bang, 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 and I'm thinking, Ugh. So I get out, crawl under my car with my phone as a flashlight, and I see it's a stick just stuck under my car. So yoo I pull the stick out, get back in the car, and thought, Lord, if that's a sign, I don't know what you're telling me, so it's going to have to be clear. I'm heading on to Westport. I figured that if I made it to Westport and didn't feel good, I could pull into my friend's development there and call an ambulance and they'd find me there. That would work. So I travel on. I'm not advising this, by the way. This is just my story and I'm not revising it for anybody. So I get to Perth and what I discover in this glorious little town of Perth is if you're looking for an emergency and you are in an emergency, you can't find where it is if you park in the parking lot. Somebody, in their design of that building, put it in the back. Normally, emergencies are right at the front. You've got this blaring, blinking, looks like Las Vegas red light emergency. But, oh no, in Perth, it's all so quiet and quaint here. It's so nice. We don't want to offend anybody. We don't want to wake anybody up. If you want emergency, you will have to look for it. So I get there. I park there. I pull into the parking lot and I'm walking around thinking, I've made it this far and I'm going to die in the parking lot because I can't find emergency. So I go up to the store and it says, if you want emergency, go here. Where? And I'm looking all around trying to find this emergency. I go in. I'm not sure I should say this, but it's so funny, I can't resist. I go in and I'm thinking, please, Lord, let it be at least open. And the door's open. I go in there. Oh, and by the way, to my credit, I did text my son, the paramedic, and say, are you awake right now? He wasn't, so no good. So before I left, I did check with the ambulance to find out. Just he was around. You can come and get me. So I get to Perth. I, I walk in, and it's dark, and there's nobody there. And, and that's not usual for emergency rooms. And I kind of look around. I think, I don't know where I'm supposed to go. And there's this sweet lady behind a pane of glass, and she's coloring a picture. A picture with crayons. And I thought, I love small towns. You would not get this in Ottawa. You would get, over number, take a number over here. I'm dying. Oh, it's okay. Die over here. Anyway, I get this. And she, and I, she said, can I help you? And I said, yes, please. I, I need to get my heart checked. And she says, okay, have a seat. And she finishes her picture. And I thought, well, obviously that's not a rush for you. It's a rush for me. But it's been 45 minutes, so take your time. And she, she puts the picture down. And then she comes over and, yes. And so I tell her, you know, I need to see somebody. And then right away, like, well, the nurse sees me and uh, puts his little clip on. And he says, yep, you have AFib. Okay. I don't know if that's good or bad, but at least you know what it is. So here's the more serious part. I'm lying on a bed. I was not planning on that. I was supposed to be at a team prayer meeting that morning. I did text one of the guys and say, if you notice, I'm not there. I'm in Perth Hospital. That's exactly what somebody wants to hear with an old guy. He's in the hospital. He's in ER. Like, what's happened? He's dead. So, no, it's already a conclusion. No, but I am lying there, 
And they put the drip in and they say, you know, we're going to do this and, and this should work, but you do have your age against you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Linda's older than me, just, that's okay. Four By four months, but her birthday's tomorrow. She leads the way always. And so anyway, I'm lying in the bed, they give me the drip and they say this will take about an hour and, you know, I'm all got these things and I have a hairy chest. You don't need to know that, but you do need to know that. And I have all these little probes around it and you move and it's... And it's not electricity, it's the hair getting plucked off. And so I'm there, and I'm, I'm lying in the bed. They've got this thing on me, and the little beeper, and the drip's going in. And then after it's all over, and it's probably an hour or so, they say it didn't work. You know what's really interesting is that I was okay. Like, why should it work for me and not everybody else? It's no guarantee it's going to work. So they said your heart's trying, but it's just not doing it. So, the next thing is we're going to have to give you the paddle. <laughs> well, I had the paddle when I was a kid, and I know that that's not a good word. <laughs> so I'm a little worried, thinking, okay, you know, don't kill me on this one. <laughs> I know it's a small town, but please, you know. So anyway, glory be to God, they shaved the rest of my chest. It's kind of like getting it waxed, and anyway, so never had that done. I just want to be clear. But they put these paddles on. And she says, you know, we're going to hook you up and we're going to give you anesthesia and and what is it? Anesthetic, whatever that word is, you know. And they knock you out. And do you have any any problems with that? And I said, yeah, it makes me puke. Ah, Makes them puke, give them some stuff. So they got this drip going in me, so I'm not going to be sick. And then this lovely doctor, a really seriously lovely guy, he says, you know, you got a point against you because of your age. I know, I know, I'm fully aware how old I am. I'm sorry I didn't sleep out in a tent last night, and this is punishment for it, I'm sorry. But he says, the reality is, is that you could die, and your heart will stop. And if your heart stops, we'll start it up for you. Thank you. (laughs) Or you could stop breathing. And if you stop breathing, we'll breathe for you. Thank you. I don't want to find out how. Just knock me out. If your tongue curls up and gets caught in your throat, we'll pull it back. Thank you. I'm looking forward to this. It sounds like a spa. You've shaved my chest. Go ahead and take the rest of my life, you know. This is way funnier than what you would say, isn't it, Linda? Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I'm lying there, but in all seriousness... I'm lying there and it's like, is this how it ends? Is this how I meet you? Because it's not stopping. It's been three hours. I've heard the warnings and so I actually just stopped. And in the peace of that room, I said, Jesus, if I wake up and I see you, I'll have no complaints because I have lived my life fully and for you with no regrets. Said, I give you my heart. It's yours. My heart is yours. Here I am. Interesting. The timing. At that exact same time, Linda had, we had been texting, 
And Linda sent out an email to a bunch of people saying, pray for my husband, he's in the hospital, he's having heart issues. The guys back at Camp Iowa, nine o'clock in the morning, had all huddled together to pray. And this one guy said, God, give Doug a youthful heart. And they were praying at that exact same moment. And the nurse says, your heart just returned back to normal. Now, you could say, well, isn't that good, the medicine work? Yeah, you could say that. But I find the timing just a little bit unique. What a beautiful experience. They checked me out. They shaved some more and gave me another ECG and said, you're all good. You can go home. And I do see cardiologist in a few weeks. And I am going through tests on Wednesday and all that kind of stuff. And I'm on blood thinners that when you floss your teeth, it bleeds. I was like, whoa, isn't this exciting? You know? But it really spoke to me very clearly about none of us know. None of us know the breadth that we have left. Patricia, when I got to be by your bedside and saw you being kept alive by a machine, you didn't anticipate that. But God kept you alive. Most of us want to avoid that thought. We're terrified by the thought that we are actually going to die. I don't know how much time I have left. But I do know I've been given today to live it fully for Christ. And that opportunity is given to each one of us as well. So thank you for letting me share my story. I praise God because it certainly has given me a, a freshness for the day that I have today. That this indeed is the day the Lord has made. So a couple weeks ago, oh, more than that, a month ago, we were finishing up the book of the, the books of wisdom, Proverbs, Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes, and I finished up with a very, very brief summary of Ecclesiastes and ended it with this song that just was going through my mind, this hymn, a modern hymn called Speak, O Lord, and the words just kept going through my mind, even as I was in the hospital Room. I just kept hearing this hymn on constant replay through my mind. Speak, O Lord. Take your truth and plant it deep in us. Shape and fashion us into your likeness. That the light of Christ might be seen today in our acts of love and our deeds of faith. Speak, O Lord. Fulfill in us all your purposes for your glory. That's why he created us. So now in the last few weeks, we've been going through the book of Ephesians. And last week, Dan was speaking on the second part of chapter one. And as he was speaking on it, and as I was considering it and contemplating it, and I do listen to it again, this hymn kept going through my mind as well. And it's kind of like parallel tracks. So if you wonder why I'm distracted, I've got all this stuff going on in my head. So I, I can't remember to turn left or right at a stop sign. Give me patience because I've got this hymn and these verses. And it's all like, whoa, I'm lost in this. It's going through my head over and over. And these prayers, that the second part of chapter one that Paul prays, 
for the church in Ephesus resonated with my heart. And I felt like I needed to pray for them, for us here at Northgate. I don't know where I've been. I'm a slow learner, I guarantee that. But it's as if these prayers were something I memorized and learned and could talk about, but I didn't realize that they were active prayers in this moment now. That these were prayers not put on Paul's heart for Paul's sake, but birthed in him as the Spirit of God gives us understanding in us to know what his prayer is. So Paul writes these words, not just for the church in Ephesus, but for us here today. They're current. So a few nights ago, I was sitting in bed and lights were off, it was dark, and I was praying. And I began to pray these prayers over each of us here. And as I did, I was picturing some of you and my memory isn't that great, so I have my little flashlight with my Bible and I'm trying to read it and not wake up Linda. And I'm praying these prayers. But then the Holy Spirit just took it a step further for me personally. And he said that these prayers are God's prayer for me. Us is safer, if you know what I mean. For God so loved the world, us, we, we can say. But for God so loved me, that's a step closer. And sometimes that's a lot harder. So I began to read these prayers because each one of us are building blocks in the church. We are the church, being knitted and formed together in Christ. It's not a building made by human hands. It's stones, living stones brought together and held together by the Spirit of God. So I began to pray these prayers that I want to read to you. Chapter 1, verse 17, 18, and 19. For the prayer for us to have spiritual wisdom and insight so that we might grow in the knowledge of God, that our hearts would be flooded with light so that we can understand the confident hope that God has given to those he called, and that we would understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead and sealed him in the place of honor at God's right hand is ours. Really? God's heart expressed through these prayers of Paul is that you and I, that I could understand this. As I was reading and praying these prayers, again, the the line of that hymn was going through my mind that the light of Christ might be seen today, that the light of Christ might be seen today, We have this power cord in our bedroom that you never notice at all until it's pitch black. And then the light can be so bright it can wake me up at night and if it's shining on our bed, I have to move it, keep it under a dresser. When it is pitch black, light shines phenomenally. 
And although it's pitch black around us right now and getting darker all the time, the light of Christ permeates so brilliantly. And Paul prays that you and I would be that light everywhere we go. That our hearts, his prayer is that our hearts will be flooded with light so we can understand this confident hope that God has given us. Flood our hearts. And I kept praying this over me and over us. Flood our hearts with your light so that we, so that I can understand this confident hope that you've given us. So then I love to ask questions when I'm reading the scriptures. What confident hope? What are you flooding me with? What am I asking for? What's this confident hope that you're referring to? And honestly, the confident hope I had was simply limited to the fact that because I've accepted Jesus as my Savior, I am going to heaven. And I have the hope that that's a finished work. And it is. And that is a confident hope. But as I'm reading the New Testament and hearing these words of Paul, I'm realizing it's actually much more than just that. Not that that's not significant. It's hugely significant. But the confident hope we have is for us now. What is that hope? Well, I began to think and went back to the beginning. I'm quite taken by the story of Adam and Eve and the biblical account of that. In Genesis 1.27, it says that you and I, that we, that I, am created in the image of God. What's that mean? Well, I'll tell you, in the garden, before sin, Adam and Eve walked in oneness with God in perfect harmony together. There is no shame. There was no, the nakedness meant nothing. There was nothing to hide. I'll tell you, one of the things that keeps us from God is that we're afraid he's going to say to us and what he's going to expose to us. Because we're afraid to admit it and see it ourselves. So we avoid it. I avoid it. But there is nothing in them that avoided fellowship, that avoided close contact. There is this beautiful, perfect harmony. They walked together, from what I understand. There is no boundaries. There is nothing until the serpent comes along and convinces Adam and Eve. Do it your way. Don't listen to what God says. Do it your way. He doesn't mean that. Do it your way. So they choose their way over God's way. And as a result, this perfect union they experienced was destroyed and the darkness of sin covered them. Separation exists between them, between them and God, and has existed ever since. So Jesus comes to the earth to live his life as a human, not only as a human and as the son of God in flesh, but as a perfect human. So whereas Adam sinned, Jesus never did. And through his life given for us on the cross and through his resurrection from the dead, the curse of this sin that occurred in the garden is broken. 
so that man once again might be restored through faith into a living relationship, into oneness with God. I remember when I was younger and I had these little pat phrases and I would go and try my evangelism and it would be that Jesus Christ wants you to have a personal relationship with him. And I know I shared with you one time how this Catholic lady asked me, well, what's your relationship like with him? And I thought, don't ask. I'm asking you the questions. I have no idea what this really means. I know what it's supposed to mean and I know there's more to it, but I don't know how to do it. And I just know I'm supposed to do more and it's not working. But don't ask me. I'm here to tell you about it. You got me. What does a relationship with the living God look like? What does a personal relationship with Jesus Christ look like? You would say that that's the basis of evangelicalism, and I would say, lovingly, that many evangelicals have no idea what that means. And I see that in the ministry, and I'm not being critical. I was one of them. What does it mean to have a personal, intimate knowledge of Christ? Not intellectual. Walking with him, as Adam and Eve did in the garden. Ephesians 4, verse 24, describes this restoration as, we are given a new self, created, this is the words, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Wow. That is what salvation offers us. Colossians 3.10 says something very similar, and it says that we are renewed in the knowledge, in the image of our Creator. This shattered image covered by darkness and sin renewed because of the cross. 2 Corinthians 3.18 paints this beautiful picture of us without a veil between us and God. Nothing blocking us between us and God. Nothing blocking us from seeing his glory, to quote the scripture. And in doing so, as we see his glory, we reflect the glory of God through our own lives, that the light of Christ might be seen in us. What is that light? It is the glory of God. As we reflect on him and he reflects through us, the light of the glory of God is seen in everyone around us. The verse 318 continues to say that the Lord, who is spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. Dan can correct me later on. He so far never has, and I believe that we're one in this. But I personally struggle with people that say they've accepted Christ and have had no change in their lives. I don't condemn. I was one. But I see this verse and the power of God's word and the hope that we have with God's spirit in us is that we are transformed on an ongoing basis, step by step by step. And we may not even see us being transformed, but we are transformed and the light of Christ is seen through us, through this transformation. We are changed. The hope, this glorious hope, oh, when I see Christ, I will be completely changed. But in until then, I am being changed. And I am being made more into the likeness of Christ. 
That is the hope we have of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Nothing separating us. Ephesians 2, verses 1 to 5, the passage that we'll touch on today. We're not going to go too far into it. Further explains this beautiful transformation. Ephesians 2, 1 to 5 says, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature, but our very na- by our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. And as I was reading this passage, I just love these two words. But God. Thank you. That's how I felt as well. But God didn't leave us that way. But God, who is so rich in mercy and loves us so much that even though we were dead in our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you and I have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ And what? Seated us with him in heavenly realms because we are united in Christ. Dead because of disobedience. What disobedience? Choosing our own way. Choosing our way instead of God's. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has chosen our own way. That's why Jesus died. Adam and Eve chose their own way. And the result of us choosing our own way is sin, separation from God, a distance between us, a veil, a darkness. As I was reading this, I thought, how many of us think that we are really living our lives free by our own choice. If you are living in disobedience, this passage clearly says that you are following your father, the devil. Now, he's a master. He's a deceiver, and he does it in such a way that you would never know. But scripture clearly points to the fact that if you follow your own way, if you follow sin, you follow the devil. Now, where I wrestle with this a bit, and as I was thinking, my mind began to wander a bit here, is what about now? I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. I've given my life to him. I want to follow him. But what about now when he asks me to do something and I don't want to do it? Well, what about now when he's asked me not to do something and I still want to do it? Do I reflect on that as sin? In doing so, am I opening myself up once again to the the father of all of this? The deceiver? The accuser? The liar? Am I? 
I'll say yes. So if you think you have freedom to do what you want to do, according to God's word, you don't. You're either following this one or you're following God. You think you have freedom. You can do whatever you want, but the ways thereof are death. Or you can follow God and the ways thereof are life. I still marvel in the fact that I was at Jericho Road a few months ago and one of the guys told me, he said, you know, addicts struggle the most with wanting to be in control. And I just smile in my head thinking, an addict thinks they're in control? It's obvious to us that they're not. But is it obvious to you and me that we're not in control either? That when we're choosing to disobey God and thinking we're having the time of our life, that these ways are actually leading to death and we're following the father of all this, the devil? Disobedience leads us there. And the result is sin. But God. I'm sorry if your understanding of God was like, <laughs> I grew up with a guy, oh my goodness, I had, I, had, I had it bad, but he had it worse. We had drive together and he was a Christian and he told me that he wasn't sure if he was saved that morning because he went to a movie the night before and it wasn't a good movie. And he lived in constant fear that this final finger of God is like, you are out of the kingdom because you did that. I see but God. But God in his great love for us knows our weaknesses, knows our failures, and constantly draws us by his spirit to be with him. Just this last week I was teaching, we were leading a a prayer retreat, and one of the themes was this beautiful theme of the prodigal returning. And when the father saw him, he ran to him. Not like, ooh, get him clean first, unclean, been with pigs, dirty, smelly, starving. No, the father ran to him. Not a one-off. Every time we come back and say, Lord, I've gone my own way and I am bearing the sin of this. I'm bearing the smell of it. I'm bearing the consequences of it. He doesn't turn his back, but he welcomes me back into fullness of fellowship with him. But God... God who loved us so much that though we were dead and unable to fix ourselves, he gives us life through Christ who rose from the dead. And he too has taken us and seated us in heavenly places. And how that verse ends, we are united with Christ. i got to work on that one, but just united with Christ means... Okay, like, when am I ever alone? Why should I ever feel alone? I am united with Jesus Christ. And this oneness that we experience has been restored through salvation in Christ. It isn't just a guarantee. It comes through, and Ephesians gets into this just a bit further in this passage, 
that it comes through us receiving this truth. It comes through us as recognizing, I have gone my own way, and I have sinned. But now repentance is turning, going the other way. I acknowledge my sin. I acknowledge what you've done for me on the cross. I acknowledge that you died to save me and free me from myself and my sins and the consequences and to free me from enslavement to the devil. I repent and turn to you. This freedom to see the glory of God. Honestly, can you just picture that for a moment? That you and I who belong to Christ have been invited to see him face to face. That the glory of God himself is revealed to us as we do so. As we see that glory in the light of the beauty of his glory, our lives are transformed and this light of Christ is seen in us. might not seem like a bright light, but I tell you, as it gets darker, it gets brighter. So the question, as I was rereading these prayers of Paul and as I was going through and singing this hymn in my mind and experiencing my own little journey of mortality, is this the hope that drives you and me today? Is it this hope that God can take your life if you give it to him and transform you into his likeness? Can you believe that he can accomplish his purposes in you? That this is what God wants for us as we await his return. And we do recognize he is returning. And that is our great hope. I want to reread the prayers of Paul again. I'll do them slowly. And I want you to consider them and pray them with me. Pray to have a spiritual, to pray to have spiritual wisdom and insight so that you and I might grow in the knowledge of God. Pray that our hearts will be flooded with light. Flooded with light. So we can understand the confident hope that God has given to you and me. Flood our hearts, Lord, with your light. As I see floods in New York City over this week, I see that nothing can stand against a flood. It brings up everything. By your light, flood us and reveal dark crevices that still might be there, but also reveal your glory. Wash away any and all that might be keeping us from seeing you the way you really are and from seeing ourselves in the light of that. Verse 19, that we would understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe.
what he's done. What he's done, all the glory to the Father and the Son. Our sins are forgiven, as we sang this morning. The incredible greatness of God's power. For whatever we're going through, for whatever is surrounding us, as darkness increases, may our understanding of the truth of his power within us increase. May the light of his glory in us increase. This very same power that raised Jesus from the dead and sealed him in the place of honor at God's right hand is ours. Lord God, help us to align ourselves and believe these words that Paul prayed by your spirit. Our part as we read these prayers, what got us in the mess in the first place was us choosing our own way. So we accept and receive what Christ did for us on the cross. But living it out in the day to day is our choice to be obedient to whatever he asks. Again, my mind goes back to the song, the hymn. Speak, O Lord. Take your truth, the truth of what you're showing us today. Plant it deep in us. Shape and fashion us into your likeness, into your glory. You and me, fashioned into the likeness of Christ so that we reflect his glory. That the light of Christ might be seen today in our acts of love and our deeds of faith. Speak, O Lord, and fulfill in us all your purposes for your glory. My prayer for each of us here at Northgate and for anybody that hears these words is that as we live our lives, we will live it fully and freely in the fullness of God's purposes for each one of us. Do they seem impossible? Does it seem like you've blown it? I don't see anything in God's word that says you've blown it and it's impossible. What I see is but God, but God, but God. And all he asks is that we give ourselves to him. Initially, we give ourselves to him through salvation. Ongoing, we give ourselves to him through surrender. Ephesians 2 beautifully says, and it's not of works. I'm not asking you to physically do something that's going to save you. The Spirit of God reveals to us it's a gift. The consequences of the gift are having to live it out. I've been given a gift. I wasn't sure if I was going to return back to normal. I've been given a gift, so to speak, with health. The consequences, 
Well, she had to rip those patches off while I was awake. (laughs) I'm sorry, Lord, for what went through my mind. The consequences? I have to limit my coffee. What's with that? So there's consequences to every gift, but it's worth it. In comparison to what I have, to what I have to give up, let me freely give you everything so that nothing blocks us, so that I can see your glory and have it reflected in me. is only possible because Jesus Christ gave his perfect life for you and for me. For me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son for me, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Now. It's only possible because of the cross. So we here at Northgate, we celebrate breaking bread together. We celebrate what the Lord has done, what he's done, what he's done, all the glory to the Father and the Son. My sins are forgiven. My future is heaven. I praise God for what he's done. Thanks for listening. If you want any information about our church, check us out at northgateministry.com. If you'd like to listen to more teachings, you can listen at YouTube at Northgate Ministry.